Hello students, welcome back to the discussion of the Shapers of Destiny, Module 2. In this lecture, we shall be dealing with the time period from 1100 to 1135 in the history of England and particularly focusing on the reign of Henry I of England. A quick revision of what we studied in the last lecture. We talked about the Norman Conquest or the Battle of Hastings that took place in 1066, after which William the Conqueror or William I of England took charge of the political power in England. He had three sons who inherited his Norman estates, English throne and financial properties. The eldest son, Robert Curtos, inherited the French properties while William Rufus, the middle son, inherited the English throne and Henry inherited a good sum of money and the rest of the financial properties that William I had. William Rufus, the next king of England, had a very brief reign due to his early and untimely death, after which Henry, the third son of William I, inherited the English throne. Henry I of England ruled England from 1100 to 1135. The very first act that he came up with in his 35-year-long reign of England was the publishing of the Charter of Liberties. This charter promised to keep peace in the land and redress the grievances or the complaints of the people. Charter of Liberties is believed to be the prototype or an earlier form or an inspiration to Magna Carta, which is a set of rules that was published in England a century later. So the publication of Charter of Liberties, which offered peace and the addressal of the problems or the complaints of the people, was a very democratic move. And another brilliant diplomatic move that Henry won took was his marriage. He married the princess of Scotland named Matilda. Matilda was the daughter of Malcolm III, the king of Scotland, and he was the descendant of the old Saxon royalty. As you know, England was Anglo-Saxon before the Normans came, and now Henry I, as a Norman king, had a Saxon heir or heir as the wife. So this brought about a unity between the Normans and the Saxons. So this marriage allowed Henry to be accepted by both the Norman and the Saxon groups of English people. These were the two prominent diplomatic moves that Henry I made in the initial part of his reign. And now we'll talk about the few rebellions he faced. The first ever rebellion was from Robert of Normandy. You might be familiar with the name Robert. It is none other than Robert Kutos, who is his own brother, who actually, despite being the firstborn, did not inherit the throne from William I or William the Conqueror. Robert of Normandy was supported by certain Norman barons like Robert of Bellin, who was the Earl of Shrewsbury, and some other rebellious Norman barons. However, the strong diplomatic moves made by the king made his people stand by him. It is said that thousands of people came on to the war front 
to defend their king and henry 1 attacked the castle of robert of belim and robert of belim was exiled from england and he was sent back to his native place normandy robert curtos his brother was killed and henry became the undisputed king of normandy and england so with the death of robert curtos henry inherited his brother's lands in normandy as well so this happened in 116 almost 40 years after battle of hastings as you remember in 1066 the normans conquered england and in 116 exactly 40 years afterwards the english king conquers normandy by 1106 all major rebellions against henry 1 was quelled and henry 1 became the undisputed king of england henry 1 was much organized and much respectful unlike his brother william rufus therefore he called anselm the archbishop of canterbury who was in exile back to england however this didn't mean that the bishop and the king shared the most closest of bonds they were not exactly in good terms and anselm was brought back in the terms of diplomacy alone bishop and the king had conflicts because the bishop was a loyal servant of a pope who believed that the lowest person in the clergy or the lowest positioned church member was superior to the highest person within the layman which included royalty however in europe there was a tradition where bishops were invested into their office by the king so as royalty from europe the king could not give up the idea of his position being diminished in the process of investiture of the bishop therefore he argued that all the clergymen who owned land came under the king because they owed him homage henry 1 and anselm could not come into terms for a long time however in 1106 a compromise was made and the bishops were elected by the cathedral clergy after the election by the clergy the symbols of office of the bishop was given to them by the pope or his deputy but it is agreed that they should pay homage or money to the king for the lands they owned this is the point where the conflict between the church and the monarchy starts so we understand that the bishop the pope and the king has difference of opinions however they come to a mutual agreement at this point to maintain power henrik 1 was a much provisioned ruler and he had a system for almost everything in the polity one innovative administrative structure was known as the magnum concilium or the great council this was actually an advanced version of the anglo-saxon counterpart of parliament which was known as wittingmote or council of wise men 
Wittigamond or Council of Wise Men was, was rejected by William I and William Rufus. However, Henry was different. He did want a council for the realm. And this council was a reconstituted new version of Wittigamond. And this new version which existed to counsel the king during Henry I's reign was named Magnum Concilium or the Great Council. This is actually a forerunner of what we call as the House of Lords in the Parliament of Britain. It is like the upper house or Rajya Sabha in India. King's court was known as Curia Regis and this council of king or the great council included both secular people and spiritual people and they were called into curia regis or the king's court whenever the king was present. There was also a smaller group of great councillors which were the people who belonged to the king's household. It included prime minister or the justicia, treasurer or the chancellor who was also the king's secretary, the chamberlain or the head of the king's household and the marshal or the constable who represented the armed forces. All of this important personnel within the king's household also constituted a very small council. While Magnum Concilium and the smaller council for the king are administrative structures, there were efficient and advanced judicial structures in place during Henry I's reign. One of the prominent style was the itinerant, itinerant judges or the travelling judges who travelled from place to place to listen and redress the grievances of the people. So as promised in the Charter of Liberties, he took it seriously to hear the grievances or the complaints of the people and try and resolve it. So the role of itinerant judges in resolving the problems of the different people or the different villages was extremely important. So these judges included the important people in that area to administer justice. So this involving of the important people of the area became the prototype or the earlier form of the trial by jury which is a common judiciary practice existing in European countries even now. Henry also selected and trained a number of officers who carried business of the governing throughout the country as deputies of king. This can be seen as the precursor of the civil services of the modern times. So all of these administrative and judicial structures enabled England to have a general peace and a strong centralized government. And these two features are the primary ground for improving trade and commerce. The city of London was a meeting place of traders from all over the world due to its position and the stable government and efficient laws in place fostered even more growth for trade and commerce. The Charter of London was a rule granted by Henry I which allowed the citizens of London to collect revenue of Middlesex in exchange for a sum of £300 to the king. 
they were also exempted from having to pay Danegeld. I hope you remember what Danegeld is. It is the money that is paid to the king in order to keep Danes at bay. And it was the money paid to the Danes to not attack England. And the people of England paid that money to the king so that he or she could consolidate all the money and pay the Danes. Not only were they allowed to collect revenues in exchange of a sum paid to the king, also they were exempted from the payment of Danegeld, but also they were given certain administrative liberties to choose their own sheriff and justicia without the influence of the king, and the city of London was thus allowed small beginnings of self-government. So Henry I of England gave stability and peace and in fact a long, stable and growth-promoting atmosphere for England. However, he experienced the greatest tragedy of his only son, his only heir dying at the sea in an untimely and odd time. And the death of his son prompted Henry to offer his descendants to Matilda, his daughter, and he felt that the kingdom should not pass to other hands, and thus he made his nobles swear an oath of fealty or loyalty to his daughter Matilda. And Matilda was married off to Count of Anjou, and he passed away in 1135, believing that all the nobles who promised him to maintain their loyalty to his daughter will ensure that Matilda comes back to the throne. But after Henry's death in 1135, Matilda, Henry's daughter, was not supported by the Norman nobles. The Magnum Concilium or the Great Council and the Curia Regis or the King's Court conveniently forgot the oath of fealty that they have sown to Matilda and they chose the new king Stephen of Belong who was Henry's nephew. No matter what oath they took as a patriarchal society the nobles and the prominent and important people of the country could not imagine a queen ruling their country. Therefore, despite Matilda's descendants and her right to the throne, the prominent individuals of England did not support her claim to the throne. Stephen of Boulogne was a great soldier, but however, he was not a great king or an administrator. Therefore, the Norman barons who supported him had higher authority than the king himself. The barons who were power hungry inflicted a lot of cruelty around England, especially Geoffrey de Mandeville, whose acts of cruelty made the historians a remark that this was a period when the Christ and saints slept. And it is also referred to as 19 long winters. So the level of stability and peace that Henry I had brought to England was completely forgotten during Stephen's reign when the Norman barons took more power than the king. However, the king's daughter and the true heir 
to the english throne matilda who was the countess of anjou at that time was not ready to give up england there were many to support her claim in england and that encouraged her to land in england with a large army in 1141 ad in the battle that took place in 1141 stephen the king was taken prisoner and matilda was crowned the queen of england matilda however did not descend or inherit much of the administrative and kingly powers from her father and he turned she turned out to be a much worse ruler than stephen her administrative move of increasing taxes in london made her much unfavorable and even before the coronation itself she was expelled from london and she could not fight for her throne with a more powerful admin ally because her half brother earl robert of gloucester was captured and people were demanding that stephen the present king should be released in exchange for her half brother and she had no option and stephen who was a great soldier rallied his followers and attacked matilda and she somehow managed to escape from their capture and she returned to her husband's place in anjou geoffrey of anjou matilda's husband had by then attacked and conquered normandy and matilda had returned from england unable to take her claim on england and failing the fight with stephen so matilda's son matilda's son with geoffrey of anjou was named henry and he strongly believed that he was the true heir to english throne through his maternal grandfather henry i of england and the little henry inherited much shrewd statesmanship from his father geoffrey of anjou who had won and conquered normandy and when geoffrey of anjou passed away the little henry took up the title of count of anjou and the duke of normandy and he got married to eleanor of aquitaine and he became an undisputed ruler of a large part of the land from english channel to the pyrenees and in his maturity he thought that it was time to raise his claim for the throne of england wallingford castle was home to people who was faithful to matilda and a lot of bal barons supported henry son of matilda to fight for the king of england for the throne of england and this this led to a treaty which is known as treaty of wallingford which was signed in 1153 ad and according to this treaty stephen was to continue as the king until his death after which the english kingdom was to pass to the hands of henry son of matilda and the great grandson sorry 
the grandson of Henry I. This treaty was rather convenient for all the parties involved, particularly because King Stephen did not have any children to dispute the succession, and also after Stephen died, Henry could be peacefully crowned King of England. And this crowning of Henry as Henry II of England happened in 1154 AD, and the House of Angevian Kings, known as the House of Plantagenets was inaugurated from 1154 AD. So, as we conclude, in this lecture, we discuss the reign of Henry I of England that stretched from 1100 to 1135 and we talked about the conflicts and the change of administration that happened from 1135 to 1154. In 1154, Henry I's grandson, Henry II of England, took charge and was crowned the King of England. With this, we shall end this lecture. If you have any doubts, please make sure that you ask those questions. Thank you students. See you again.